You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas to you all. Happy Vestember. Did you notice that uh, Victor was up in his vest this morning? Thank you, Anna. Appreciate that. Anna, his fiance, dressing him well. He needs it, just like I do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, welcome this morning. Uh, please take your Bibles, if you will, and open up to the Bible book of Acts. Now, Acts is not listed on the list of, of, of uh, verses we're going through, but we're going to start in Acts, and then we're going to go all through a little bit in the Old Testament, New Testament, and all that. If you'd like to... Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you'd like to borrow one, our ushers, wonderful ushers are coming down the aisle. They have a stack of Bibles with them. Just wave at them. They'll give you a, a loaner. You can just leave there when you're done. And uh, we're continuing our Christmas series, holding on to hope and not just the, the concept of hope or some nice, hopeful thought, but truly embracing the source of hope, a person, a person that gives hope and is hope, that person is Jesus, the Christ. And really the, the reason uh, for this season, and I love how Isaiah the prophet put it in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. It's up on the screen for, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God did send Jesus to be born and to live among us to show us God. As we saw Him, we see God. And how the Lord wants us to live and provide for us salvation from our sin, giving us incredible hope. Hope when all seems hopeless. Hope in waiting. Hope that's beyond disappointment. And hope even when we fail. For the truth is, <laughs> we mess up. We make mistakes we accidentally or even intentionally hurt others. And for the failures of life defletes, but God's hope fills to overflowing. And yes, sure, failure is a reality of life. That uh, failed attempt at that job, that project, that relationship, failed financial decisions, bad purchases, and those haunting bad life choices that each of us fall into, sometimes I feel like I'm the worst. <laughs> and some failures are minimal, and some failures are epic. And yet we hope that our failures can somehow be moved into a success story. Uh, like when Richard James uh, was trying to design a meter to monitor power on naval ships in 1943, he had to make this giant spring and he was frustrated. He couldn't get this project off the ground. He brought the, the spring home. It fell on the ground and began to do something kind of crazy. 
His wife noticed that and said, I have an idea. So they brought it to a toy company and the Slinky was born. One of the hottest toys of all time. How many of you have played with a Slinky? Look at that. <laughs> all from somebody's mistake. We love it when failures turn into something wonderful like that. And then, of course, a similar thing happened in 1922 when a clumsy dietitian of the Washburn Crosby Food Company, later known as Betty Crocker, spilled some bran gruel on a hot stovetop. The gruel droplets sizzled and crackled into flakes and Wheaties was born. All from a mistake, a, a spilled batch of gruel. And uh, we love stories like that. And yet, the truth is, much of the time, we feel like Charlie Brown. Look at this. We're back. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. What kind of a tree is that? You are supposed to get a good tree. Can't you even tell a good tree from a poor tree? I told you he'd goof it up. He's not the kind you can depend on to do anything right. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> what a tree! I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Ah, poor Charlie Brown, right? Here he is trying to do the best he can, and he sees this cute little tree <laughs> and figures it's going to be the best one. And, and yet, he thinking it was something great failed miserably. And what gets me about that, even his dog turns on him. And yet, you know, here it is in the Christmas season. If you've listened to or seen the classic of Charlie Brown Christmas, you know that Charlie Brown is trying to find the meaning of Christmas because he knows it's supposed to be something hope-filled and wonderful and, and amazing. And yet, here he, he fails again. And we a lot of times feel like that. We know we get the idea of Christmas that Jesus brings and fills us with hope of the promise of the Savior that's come into our life and into our world. And yet, the truth is, failures happen. And life leaves us feeling in the company of Charlie Brown. And sometimes we feel the most Charlie Brownest of them all. <laughs> we feel defeated and depressed and deflated. And that, 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 that hope that Christmas brings of this wonderful counselor that Isaiah talked about of comfort seems to be untouchable. And the hope of, of this mighty God of Jesus of security seems uncertain. And the hope of, of this everlasting father of belonging seems unreal. And the hope of this prince of peace of tranquility seems so far off. And yet God desires we would hold on to the reality 
of who Jesus is and let his hope fill us with overflowing. So the question is, how, how do we hold on to this hope even when we fail? And the Christmas story has the answer. And yes, now Jesus in the story of being born and and, but yet also in the stories of the of the family line of Jesus. And we've been looking at that through this series of holding on to hope, looking at the, the lineage of Jesus through Luke chapter 3. And we've been looking at different characteristics of, of all of those people. And it seems like they're just ordinary people, and yet God has instilled hope into them through himself. Including the greatest king of all of Israel. King David, who's mentioned in Luke chapter 3, verse 31, in the lineage of that. Isaiah mentioned as well, on David's throne, this one will sit. Who did many great things, amazing things. He's revered as the greatest king of all Israel, but who failed miserably. And yet, in his failure, found that overflowing hope through forgiveness and surrender. And so this morning, I want us to discover uh, this morning and grasp these two choices of holding on to hope like David did and understanding that we can have that hope even in the midst of failure. So if you wouldn't mind setting your Bible aside, just stand up and let's pray. And I'm glad that you're here on this Christmas, beginning of Christmas week. Um, and the truth is we all fail. <laughs> uh, we all make mistakes, and yet we don't have to live in that failure. There is hope because of Jesus, because of the Christ of Christmas. But let's pray and ask Him to instill us with that hope. Father, this morning, we're asking that You would, Holy Spirit, instill us with that hope that's found in Christ. That regardless of the failures that we face each day, and sometimes feeling just like Charlie Brown, depressed and deflated and defeated, yet, Lord, we know that there's hope in You. And may this morning, may You reveal that to us. And may we learn from your spirit this morning. And may we be different because we came to this place today, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and I encourage you to take out of your worship folder the, the note page that's in there. There's some fill in the blanks. The answers are going to be up on the screen. And I encourage you to do your best to write down some of the verses that we mentioned. But I, I want to let you know that we provided this in the lobby area, uh, this study guide. It's a great study guide for personal study if you want to go through this passage some more and there's questions there to look at a lot of our life groups or small groups go for that on the back are the answers to the fill in the blank and all the extra verses and, and we're going to be looking at the life of David and so I've listed some of the key areas and the scriptures where to find them on that you can get that for your study later I think it'd be a great read for you as you walk through that this morning so I encourage you to to take that on and go through that so let's look at these uh, uh, two uh, choices to holding on to hope when we fail. The first choice of holding on to hope when we fail is to grasp the hope in forgiveness. Now, if there's ever one, a one who experienced God's forgiveness in a great way, it was David. Uh, David's story has an, a, a, an amazing uh, part to it, uh, and we'll walk through some of that, but he reached out for God's forgiveness in, in a very amazing way. You can read about his story in 2 Samuel chapter 1 all the way through to 1 Kings uh, 1 and, and a little bit beyond that. But, but the story really starts back in 1 Samuel. It came before 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, Israel wanted a king. 
Uh, God had taken them out of Egypt and they had been wandering around and Moses was leading them. They had the pillar of cloud at night or day and the pillar of fire at night and, and God gave them a law and, and all kinds of things. And God was their king, was that supreme leader in their life, was the one that gave them guidance and, and, and help. And yet Israel looked around and go, well, that, 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 uh, uh, group of people has a king. That, that group of people has a king. Well, we want a king too. And so God gave them over to their desires and gave them King Saul, which really was a disaster. But you know, as we read that story, we're a lot like that, aren't we? God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And all of a sudden God gives it to us and it's not what he wants. He wants us to, to have, find our sufficiency in him and our solace in him. And then through him give us what we need and desire. And a lot of times we go that route, but, but also as, as, we realize that as Jesus, who came born as a king, we sing. Uh, he should be the true king of our lives. Not anything else. And certainly not us. It, it, all the time we struggle with wanting to be the king of our own lives, the queen of our own life. Well, God removed Saul and said he was going to now choose, a, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, choose a man after his own heart. We know that to be David, a person who was humble, had a reverent respect of God, trusted God, loved God, obeyed God, worshipped God, and was repentant when he messed up. That choice was David, a man after God's own heart. And, and to be a person after God's heart is to be humble and to be reverently respective of God, to, to trust God, to love God, to obey God, to worship God, and to be repentant. Uh, open your Bible now to Acts chapter 13. And let's read that passage of Scripture that describes David as being a man after God's own heart. In verse 21 of Acts 13, Then they, that's Israel, asked God for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, the man of a tribe of Benjamin. Forty years he reigned. And when he, had, when he, that's God, had removed him, God raised up David to be their king, whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. Of this man's offering, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Jesus is a descendant of David. And David, back in the Old Testament, was anointed king. On that time when God said, I'm going to choose a king, he went to, to, to the prophet. The prophet said, go to this house, the house of Jesse. And, and, and the prophet saw the different uh, people and thought, surely this one is it, this was it. And, and, and is there another one? See, the, Jesse, uh, David's dad, didn't even consider him worthy to be in the room when, they were, when the prophet came by. He was out tending sheep. If you want to know something about David, he, felt, he knew what abandonment felt like. He knew what it was like to be excluded from the whole family and to be left out in the field. <laughs> and yet God had chose David and anointed him king, but he had to wait. Now, a lot of history happened to that, the whole Goliath, you know, thing, the giant, and, and slaying the giant and being asked to be involved in Saul's court, playing the harp. David was a musician. David had a great relationship, a strong friendship with Jonathan. There was a lot of conquest, and then all of a sudden now Saul turns on him. And, uh, and seeks him and he's out as a fugitive, uh, living a life. And then finally, David is made king. But not king over all of 
Israel, just Judah, because there had been a split and Israel was divided between Israel and Judah. And in 2 Samuel chapter 2, he was given kingship over Judah. But then, just a few chapters later, in 2 Samuel 5, God gave David the whole kingdom. And David reigned for 40 years. And he continued to have victory after victory. And, and finally, he brought the, the Ark of the Covenant of God. That was the, the symbol, the, the, the piece of, of furniture that God said, where that is, that's where I am. And Israel had pushed it out and had it was hidden away. And, and now David, with this united kingdom, brings the Ark, in a sense, brings God's presence back to Jerusalem, the city of David. And he got so excited. I love this part of Scripture. He got so excited in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And it says, David was wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing with all his might in his underwear. Now, I'm not suggesting we do that in public worship. And though he was ridiculed by his wife, who said... This does not match the dignity of a king. His wife, uh, the daughter of Saul, who was used to all of the pomp and circumstances and luxury and honor of being royalty, did not feel that his action was, didn't match the dignity of, of a king. And I love how David responds. David, with God as his highest affection, says, I will even be more undignified than this. I had to dance before the Lord. And I think of a man who is a man after God's own heart that he was so consumed with the love of God that it didn't make a difference what people thought. It didn't make a difference that he was uh, you know, flailing around in his underwear dancing before the Lord because he was so consumed with how amazing and awesome and wonderful and beautiful God is. Sometimes I think about our own life we are so concerned with what this family member thinks, what this boss is going to think, and what this neighbor is going to think, what this other person is going to think, that we just hide in our faith and don't even express the great love that we have with God. We'll say, uh, we won't even say praise the Lord or Merry Christmas or anything like that because we're so ashamed. And yet how I love David. I will be even more undignified than this. I had to dance before the Lord. David's life was going great. Listen to his humility. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. See, David had that kind of relationship with God. He sat before God and time after time and he, and he journaled his thoughts down with God. As a matter of fact, you have that journal in your hand if you're holding a Bible. It's called the Bible book of Psalms. Many of those are David's, right out of the pages out of David's journal, his wrestlings with God, his, his praise of God, his crying out to God. All of that's found as he spent time with God. David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Such humility. Such honor, such admiration of God, a man after God's own heart. And then unfortunately, there's 2 Samuel chapter 11. David's epic fail. Now you can read the story on your own. It's the story of David and Bathsheba, but 
David, who should have been out doing what God had called him to do, was to be able to conquer the land and set up the kingdom and set up God's kingdom as it spread around. And yet David chose not to do that. He, when it says kings go out toward David, stayed home and did nothing in service to God. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. When we are not about serving God, we leave ourselves open and failure happens. In David's case, it was a incredible cascade of, of failures. He was walking on the roof of his kingdom and he looked down and there was a woman bathing and he should have just looked away. She was not being immodest. He made the wrong choice. And I don't know whether he got caught up in the power that he was a king and could have anything he wanted and prideful. If I want something, by God, I'll have it. And he did. And he ordered this woman to come to him. And then the downward spiral of one failure after another, adultery, lies, and then eventually murder. See, Bathsheba became pregnant, not by her husband. And so David, in his conniving failure state, had him, as a good soldier his, her husband was, had him go in the front line and then had the front line retreat so that that man would be murdered. And David, failure after failure after failure, if that wasn't all, you read on and, and his son, Absalom, totally rejected him, rejected God, and, and, and publicly humiliated David before everybody. And there's more. See, it wasn't all victory for this man after God's own heart. And yet in each hope-draining fail, David sought God's forgiveness. And that forgiveness allowed him to hold hope even in his failure. And if David can experience hope, so can we. And yet we can be lost in our failure. But we don't have to be. David's seeking of forgiveness is seen in two different Psalms. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. In Psalm 51, David is in the midst of his conviction. God is just heavily waning on him and he's, he's writing out his thoughts. Psalm 32, David is on the other side of forgiveness. He's seeing what he has done in his life. And it gives us a process that we can experience the hope of forgiveness. And so let's look at that psalm. Take your Bible. You're in Acts. Now go to the Bible book of Psalms. It's found in the Old Testament, right around the middle of your Bible. And Psalms 32. It's, psalms are uniquely numbered one after another. One, two, three, four. So just go to 32. And let's look at this process of experiencing the hope of forgiveness. The first step in this process is to accept the forgiveness of God. To embrace it. Verse 1 of Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, that comes when we embrace the forgiveness of God. That God really can forgive. Yes, that failure happened, but God can, takes upon Himself the consequence and releases us of the charge. 
write down this verse for, for me, would you? First John 1 John 1.9. Just put it in your uh, margin there, and you can look it up later. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we're to come to confess. Matter of fact, write down this too. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. It says, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. When we seek God and knock on His door for forgiveness, He is willing and He opens the door and welcomes us in and wants us to experience that forgiveness, that release. See, for the failures of life deflate, but the God's hope fills to overflowing. The question is, will you? Will you ask? Will you seek? See, much of life, we hold on to our failures and our moral failures, our sin, and they are weights. Let me illustrate this. Andy, Funkai, I need you, buddy, just for a second. You look like a strong individual. Come on up here. <clears throat> Come stand here. Hold out your one arm like that. Okay. Here's the weight of your sin. <clears throat> now, just put it out in front of you. Stretch it this way. Straight. straight. Yeah, there you go. Your arm is shaking. Yes. Is that heavy? It's a bit heavy. Yeah. It's a bit heavy. Okay, well then just hold it for a while. <laughs> Keep it out straight like that. You see, when we take our sin and hold it out before us, the first time we hold it, it's, it seems pretty light, doesn't it? But now it begins to weigh on us. And if that's not all, it's, you know, we may have one sin that we deal with or one failure. We deal with, but there's a lot of times there's more. Hold it right out there. And just let us watch you. Yeah, is that sweat I see coming? <laughs> yeah. Now, is it is it is it getting heavier? It feels like it. Yeah, it does. The reason why is because as, as long as we carry these failures on us, and you know, we're, this failed marriage, this failed job attempt, this failed at the at morality, we continue to struggle holding it ourselves because we were not meant to hold the fail ourselves. And the reality is, we continue to feel that weight ever before us. Let me help you, brother. Give him a big hand. And uh, um, that. thank you, Andy. His pride wouldn't let him drop it. Verse 3 of uh, Psalms 32. For when I kept silent, holding on to the weight of my sin, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning, all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of the summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I do not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That sin is a weight, that failure is a weight, and maybe today you are holding that weight of your failure and you are feeling the shake in your arms because you were never meant to hold that. That's why we have a Savior to save us even from our bunglings and our mishaps. And when we do, I love verse 6, therefore everyone who is godly offer prayer to you that in time when you may be found, in, in, that, that, that as we're dealing with this, that we may pray for each other who are dealing with these things. Surely the rush of great waters shall not reach them. The, that, that, that rush of waters of shame and guilt and despair and def, the deflation of life will not overtake us because we've got someone, when we forgive it and let it go, it's there. 
And we don't have to, and we find that God is our hiding place. Verse 7, who preserves me in trouble and surrounds me with shouts of deliverance because he's released us from the weight of our sin. That's what God wants for each one of us when we come to him and seek forgiveness. The next step is to pass it on. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go and I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, those who continue to hold their own failures. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord and lets him take it. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David, in, in Psalm 51, verse 13, was saying as he was in the midst of this conviction of his sin, Lord, I will teach people about how to deal with this sin. And that's what Psalm 32 is. Him teaching us and challenging us. And so here in Psalm 32, he does that. Now, one of the best teachers is through example and so we should forgive jesus taught a lot about forgiveness matthew 5 verse uh, 23 and 24 matthew 6 verse 14 and 15 matthew 18 verses 21 to 22 we are to forgive to forgive means three things it means that we carry the issue when someone wrongs us we get it we carry it. In other words, we acknowledge it. We don't just brush it off. Ah, oh no, that didn't mean anything. No, you say, yes. Yeah, you did wrong me. I get it. And then we, second thing is, we feel the weight of it. You know, that did hurt me what you said. That did hurt me what they did. That did affect me. It did go deep. It did affect my outlook. But here's where the idea of forgiveness really takes hold or lets go is that we simply say on the third thing we acknowledge it we know it we, we hold it we feel the weight of it the third thing is we choose to let it not come between us in relationship and we let it go actually the word forgiveness means to let go because see what happens when you hold on to this and you hold it out here, the longer you hold on it, the weight of it affects you. It not only affects you that, but you can't do anything else with it. You've got this grip on this or that's holding onto this issue and it's affecting everything you do. God intended you to let it go. To let it go. In the same way it is between you and I. When we wrong each other, we're to understand it, get it, and then just simply let it go regardless of whether the person asks for forgiveness or not. Because it's, that's, it's within us to let it go. People are going to fail you constantly. And we, we're not meant to hold that weight. When we let it go, we can more fully embrace the freshness of God's hope-filling forgiveness. The failures of life deflates but God's hope fills to overflowing. It's there. So why not? Don't hold the grudge. Don't hold that weight. Let it go. And this leads to the next choice in holding on to hope when we fail 
It is to grasp the hope in surrender. Surrender was a key quality in David's life. He surrendered constantly. Surrender is that giving up and falling back into the arms of God, finding shelter and protection in God, as David did constantly, even when he was being pursued in battle. A number of Psalms talk about that, but specifically in Psalm 27, and you can read that, that, that God is the stronghold of life. Not us, not stuff, not accomplishments, not relationships, just God. Sure, the failures of life deflate. But God's shelter gives a hope that fills to overflowing. So we're to surrender to the protection of God. That means we trust in Him to be what we need in life. Surrender is a a humble recognition of the power of God. Uh, David did many times recounting the power of God and specifically in Psalm 62 when David says that real power belongs to God. Because the failures of life deflates. But God's power gives hope. And that hope fills to overflowing. So we're to surrender to Almighty, all everything God. And to trust Him as such. That He is the sovereign, holy, incredible, powerful God over everything. You know, our sun that sits in our solar system is so powerful. If you get anywhere near it, you'll you know, just into vapor. And God is even more powerful than that. More powerful than any storm or anything we might see here, lightning or whatever. God is way more powerful than that. And it's to trust Him as such. See, it's embracing this, 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 uh, reality of the sovereign loving kindness of God. That loyal chesed that John talked about last week of, of the love of God. There's many passages of Scripture which deal with the love of God. One of my favorites, my most favorite passage of all of Scripture, I mean, I love it all, but Psalm 139 has got to be my most favorite passage and because it speaks of the, the, the chesed of God, the loving kindness of God, and how intense and personal that is. Listen just as I read this. Listen to the, the love, that loyal love of God, the loving kindness of God. O Lord, You've searched me and You know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You've discerned my thoughts from afar. You've searched out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Actually, the word acquainted there isn't just acquainted. It means intimately acquainted. That there's not a single thing in life that you go through that God doesn't know intimately. With all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Uh, where should I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I bake my bed in, in Sheol, that's the, the dark, deep place, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day for darkness is as light to you. Even the darkest part of the deepest, ugliest, most heinous sin that you might think of creating, God is there. He's right there with you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the loyal love of God. That He will even let Himself be dragged into the midst of our depravity. Because He will not leave you. Ever. You are not alone. 
You are not without a loving God. For you saw and you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast are the sum of them. If I count them, they are more than the sands. I awake and you're there. Isn't that a great reality of the love of God? That is how God feels about us. Yes, hope, or yes, failure deflates and extracts the true said of God right out of our life. But as we surrender to the truth of God's loving kindness, there is hope. And hope fills us to overflowing. The question is, will you surrender to God's amazing love? A love that never leaves. That never stops. See, it's embracing the Christmas story that that God created the world and all of us in it and yet sin entered into that and we became disconnected from that amazing chesed love of God. And that's why God sent us a Savior. And we sing about Jesus being the Savior of mankind because He bridged the gap between us and God that sin created. And we celebrate Christmas because He came, but we celebrate Easter because of what He did on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we can come through faith and believe in Him. And if you're not sure if you've embraced the love of God, that loyal love of God, you're not sure if you really dealt with that, then boy, make sure. That's why we've created these white packets in there. We, I've written a letter that talks about how you can know for sure you have that relationship with God, how you've stepped into His loving kindness. And if you're doubting even one bit, pick up one of these packages. Read through this. Make sure. Come talk to us afterwards if you'd like, but for sure, deal with that and pick up those packets. But the rest of us, to, to live on with that reality, to be reminded of that, our failure doesn't exclude us from this amazing love of God, we are to surrender to His restoring power in our life. Failure deflates, but God's hope fills to overflowing. But we have to surrender. Surrender our failures, surrender our mistakes, surrender our fears, surrender ourselves. You know, in the Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus gets up and tells Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about and something amazing happens while he's saying that that I didn't notice at first but some uh, posts are happening about this a couple years ago someone noticed it has become even popular this way where Linus surrenders something and I want you to see if you catch it as you look at this isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. 
And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Did you see it? Right when he said, Fear not, Linus did something he never does. He released his blanket. Now some of you have known and grown up watching the Charlie Brown Christmas and you know how important that blanket is to Linus. It's his companion. It is his strength. It is his comfort. All of which really should be from God, but he chose to make this blanket. But he surrendered it at the truth of the power of Jesus. So what is your blanket? And what do you need to surrender to the power of Jesus? Maybe it's your failure. Maybe it's your insecurity. Maybe it's your struggle. Maybe it's your struggle with your self-esteem. Either being too low about yourself, I'm a worm, or being too high about yourself, I'm pretty special. Both are not accurate views of who God made us to be. Now, please know, you are the hottest thing in heaven next to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> but please know, we're not God. Though we think we are sometimes, and maybe that's what we need to surrender, is our own elevated view of ourselves. But we need to let go and embrace God in His glory. He is so looking forward to that. He gets that failure of life, the failures of life deflate. But the hope, His hope, fills us to overflowing. So throw down that blanket and embrace King Jesus Embrace our amazing God who can turn little and even epic failures into something wonderful. Far more than sloppy gruel into Wheaties or far more than a mistake uh, meter into the hottest toy. It happens when we embrace God's hope. God's hope in forgiveness. God's hope in surrender. The question is, Will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality that we are more than the mistakes we make. We are more than the failures we face. That we are your precious children who you love dearly with that chesed, loving kindness of yours. And Lord, even though we live in this sin world where failure seems to happen every day, and yet we were never meant to hold that failure. Sure, learn from it. And sure, you use it in our life to, to sharpen us 
and to help us be more like you. We hate it when it happens. We're so glad that we can seek your forgiveness and surrender to your power. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to really embrace this King of glory. Jesus, you, who can fill us with your hope even in the midst of our failure. Thank you that we can rely on you with that, we pray. In your, in your name, Jesus, amen.